Welcome to this episode of the Tools, Talents, and Techniques podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Sutton. And today we have Mr. Brandon Hawkins, the Chief Revenue Officer of CFO Hub. He has an extensive background in finance and sales, and he brings a wealth of experience to the table. And as the Chief Revenue Officer of CFO Hub, Brandon leads the charge in providing outsourced CFO, controller, and accounting services to growing enterprises. By partnering with CFO Hub, clients gain access to industry-leading financial professionals with decades of experience, allowing them to streamline their operations and focus on their core business. Whether it's a startup, a mature business in need of a change, or preparing for an IPO, Brandon and his team have tailored solutions to help clients achieve success. With over 30 years of hands-on business-to-business experience, Brandon is a seasoned producer and he's proficient in generating new business, training sales teams, and understanding desired business outcomes. He's a subject matter expert in sales, commercial and business finance, manufacturing processes, financial analysis, and enterprise resource planning software. Brandon approaches his work with a come to work and work philosophy, ensuring he delivers the best he has to offer to his clients every single day. To join us, we're going to have an engaging conversation with Brandon, exploring the strategies for increasing top-line revenue, market share, and market awareness, and discover how his expertise in sales and finance can help businesses improve their, their sales skills, their processes, and their overall performance. I'm proud to introduce my friend, my colleague, Mr. Brandon Hawkins. Brandon Hawkins, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dustin. I appreciate it. I will, prior to this, I will have recorded an intro and talked a little bit more about about you and who you are in CFO Hub, but could you please give our listeners a a quick rundown on who you are? Sure. Uh, My name is Brandon Hawkins. I'm the Chief Revenue Officer at CFO Hub. We are a national, actually international, we have offices in London now. Um, we solve for turnover in accounting, right? So your uh, payroll clerk, your uh, staff accountant, controller, CFO leaves, you still got to keep the business running. You call us, we can solve for that. We also solve for companies in the growth scale sell mode from a financial modeling, strategic advice, as they prepare themselves with the appropriate accounting and financial infrastructure so that they can sell at the right multiple, avoid dilution, and kind of live the life that they want to live, whether in the business or post um, exit. Um, I'm also, um, as cool as that all sounds, I hope, I'm most proud. I am the father of three amazing adult children, Brooklyn, 22, Masters, working on our masters at Prairie View, and Tyler and Kyle, who are both uh, 27 and 30, respectively, and just uh, living their best lives. And so uh, I get to do a lot of cool things with my job and life, but being a dad is by far the best, coolest, most amazing thing I'll ever get to do. That's that's great to hear. And that's right on par with what I know of you as a person to to mention that. So thank you for including that. Yeah. I'm, what you, I want to focus on some things with uh, with CFO Hub and, and what you're doing and what sets you apart. But I, I think it's important for our listeners to hear more about your journey it's, and specifically your professional journey. Uh, but it, you start wherever you feel necessary and, and, and who you are and how you got here. 
Yeah, it was a it was a cold and rainy night in Rhode Island back in nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> I am um, I'm the the uh, son of a military officer. My dad actually was a base commander here in San Diego for Naval Training Center, which is now the NTC Promenade. So he was in charge of that whole facility uh, when it was in uh, the Navy's control. My mom was a nurse and then nurse anesthetist, and uh, together I think they they really poured into me heavy levels of discipline and appreciation for reading. Uh, so much so that my mom thought when I was at 15, it would be best for me to come live in California, get a little discipline from my dad, kind of a la Fresh Prince of Bel-Air style move. My intention was simply to come to California, you know, be here for one year of high school and then go back to the East Coast for college and become a broadcaster. My uncle uh, has for about 25 years been the anchorman for the Channel, 5's new, Channel 5 News in Boston. So I thought I would just go to school and work in the mailroom and work my way up and, you know, be Bryant Gumble someday. Um, but as fate would have it, I discovered San Diego State University, which I love, um, and Wells Fargo Bank. Uh, and they gave me a shot in their management training program. And I thought I was going to end up being like a branch manager, which I thought was really cool, like ribbon cutter, you know, kind of like the mayor of the community. But this was uh, commercial and corporate banking. And so I became a financial analyst looking at, you know, uh, 20, 30, 40 million dollar companies and trying to help make decisions as to whether or not we could lend them three, four, five, ten million dollars. Uh, one of my managers at the time, he's still in town in San Diego, his name was Larry McDonald. Uh, he came to me, he's the nicest guy, he was a game changer. He said, you know, Brandon, you're a really great guy, but you suck at this. You suck at this financial analysis. Your numbers are not really great. But you got moxie and you seem to be fearless with respect to speaking with people. Let me introduce you to our biz dev guy and see if you can help him. Um, and in short order, I became the business development officer for the middle market for Wells Fargo, where I stayed for about 13 years. And as a lot of people do in banking, particularly here in San Diego, you zigzag back and forth to a few banks to catch the largest check. Uh, and so I've been at, you know, most banks, you know, and maybe a couple you don't. Um, but over a period of time, as a sales guy, I got frustrated with the process of having multiple, you know, layers of approval authority and, you know, giving my heart and soul out in the market to endear myself to these business owners who then shared with me their personal and professional financial secrets and financials only for me to come back to them and say, sorry, your loan has declined. And so what I started to do is I started a small firm called Real Talk Business Solutions. And what we did was we went into banks and other financial institutions and, and really taught them how to sell in a very customer centric kind of way. Um, and it was great. I was loving it. Another friend here, uh, the power of networking here in San Diego, asked me if I would go speak with a company called CFO Hub. Um, he felt like they were just the next big thing in the future of finance, but they maybe needed a little uplift in the biz dev space. And so I met with, at the time, uh, the two principals, Jack Perkins, who's the founder and CEO, and Mark Jacob, um, who is the COO. I think he was employee two. And um, had a conversation around being the biz dev guy. And in that conversation, it sounds corny, but in that conversation, I fell in love. Like these two dudes just were the most upstanding, straight up. They really cared about their craft and their clients. Um, and it just it just really resonated with me. And so what I do, I continue to do, and they will tell people that was one of the reasons that I ended up at the firm is I wrote them a heartfelt handwritten thank you letter. I uh, sent that to them. A couple of days after they got it, they called me, made me an offer. Um, they said that that was one of the differentiators, which I, I marvel at how many people still don't do that to this day. It's little tactics or, in your words, techniques like that, that really help differentiate yourselves. 
so I did that. Um, I was the BD guy for a little while. We had like, you know, 10 clients and not a whole lot of money. Uh, and now we have well over 200 clients. We have about 58 W2 employees in the United States. We got four in London. We got, a, you know, a handful in the Philippines. Um, we are a real deal, I think, respectable big company right now. We're not a small company anymore. And uh, in in that development, in that, in that build, uh, Jack came to me and, you know, again, said, I really am impressed with what you're doing and how you're doing it. Um, I'd like to give you a piece of the company on the exit. And I want you to be our chief revenue officer. And that was just life changing for me because now I go from, you know, just being the trash talking sales guy where now I'm, I'm hiring salespeople. I'm leading partnerships. I'm looking at acquisitions for our company. I'm creating infrastructure and sales funnels and all of our outreach, um, which are things that I've done individually, but not as a leader. Um, so I, I've just been super grateful for the opportunity for somebody to who believed me and believed in me to do that. And so now here we are. I uh, just got back from San Francisco where I'm looking to open another office. Uh, I'll be opening an office in Boston, Q1 of next year. And I, while I don't see us hockey sticking like we did over the last two years, our upward growth is, is going to happen um, in a real way. And I think we've got our hands around it um, in a way that a lot of other companies don't. And um, so I'm super grateful for those opportunities. Now for us, it's about, you know, continue to grow and scale and then being able to share what we've done for ourselves with our clients so they can do the same. Yeah. So I, I, I want to put a pin in this and in, in where you are now, but I, you, you dropped a couple of gems here that I want to make sure that we elaborate on or we at least explore. I, I actually not going to do this in sequence, but the number one thing that stood out to me or one of the things that stood out was you mentioned the handwritten letter. Where did, where did you, can you take us back to that time when you decided to do that? Like, where'd you learn that or what were you thinking at the time and, and why that was important to you? I, I, you know, I wish I had, uh, I wish it came from some magical book so I could sound super well read, but it was home, uh, as we say, home training. You know, it was something that my mother and father taught me to do. And, you know, when, when you borrow something from somebody, you got to return it in a better condition. You know, you borrow a car, you return it cleaner, full of gas. When you borrow the mm -hmm. lawnmower, you know, you wipe it up. Um, when somebody does something nice for you, 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 you say thank you. You know, and one of the better ways to say thank you besides face-to-face, eye-to-eye, is to send somebody a handwritten letter. Now, as a sales leader and who studies both the art and the science of selling and engagement, it, it takes you less than 15 minutes to scribe a letter, lick an envelope, and stick a stamp. And I, the impact that that makes on the recipient um, is incredible. And I wish I could put a number to it, but I got to believe the ROI is double or triple digit. When you mentioned that you went to San, you came to San Diego and said San Diego State, and then you mentioned Wells Fargo, you 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 gave all those things in a sequence. But number one, what was your major in school when you came here? Like, what what did you? I know you, before you said Brian Gumble and you wanted to be a broadcaster. Uh, what what was that path that you took when you were making those decisions? Yeah, uh, so odd and uh, also the benefit of technology. I, I went to school. My minor was communication. My major was social science for a single subject credential. I want to be a school teacher. Um, to me, even to this day, I think, you know, teachers and nurses, uh, maybe firemen are the most important jobs that we have. And they, they just, they're just never paid enough. Having said that, I was in my uh, third year of college. I would say uh, junior year, but that's not how it worked for me at San Diego State. Uh, but I was in my third year and it was the same year that salaries.com came out. And I just typed in what teachers made. And I'm like, oh, God. 
uh, this is tough, man. And so I switched to business admin uh, marketing and uh, never looked back. I will tell you, though, um, teaching is a big part of what I do today. Um, I think that's the best thing you can do is to uh, impart your knowledge, your, your skills and your techniques on others. I really get frustrated when I hear people say, I taught you everything I, you know, but not everything I know. Well, well, you're shorting people. Well, you, you should teach them everything. You got to give them all the jewels. Uh, and so that's what I endeavor to do um, to satisfy my teaching Jones. I've been a 20 season, 20 consecutive season high school football coach here in town. Um, and that is my opportunity to teach and to give back and, you know, keep my eyes and ears close to the youth. And I will tell people um, as somebody who's close to the high school community over the last 20 years, I am highly optimistic about our future. These kids are smart. They are thoughtful. They are diverse. They are brilliant. And uh, they're not afraid to speak their mind. And thank, thank you for your dedication to the, to the community and the youth too. I mean, again, that, that, that aligns, that tracks with, with everything else I know of you and what, and what you do. Let's talk about good, you getting into sales. Yeah. And you, somebody seeing in you like, you know what, this is not your thing, but you could do this. What was the learning curve like that for you? For What was the learning curve for you? And what, was there anybody you listened to or, you know, the, the Zig Ziglar's or anything like that? Were, were there any different sales trainings that you did to help you develop your skills? Yeah, you know, that's a great question, actually. Um, I have been extraordinarily fortunate that outside of, you know, when you work for a big bank, you get all these Harvard types who come in and teach you sales. Uh, one of the things that frustrated me in that environment is they really hadn't sold anything except for the contract to go sell their services to the bank. Hmm. Um, you know, some of uh, the Zig Ziglar's, the Simon Sinek, some of those, those are the great, you know, great reads. But I've been fortunate because I had guys in town like Chris Woolley is a gentleman who was here in town and since left. Um, you know, Dino Dioria, Sam Brown, Tom Warnham. Um, Yvonne Armand, like these are people, Joe Barca, by the way, like who is actually a direct competitor of mine in our business line, but has been one of the most amazing coaches. Like she puts me up on game, pulls me to the side sometimes, shares things with me, asks me for tips. So I've been very lucky to have competitors around me to, you know, put me up on free game. There's a term that our founder and CEO Jack Perkins coined called co-opetition. And that's really how I operate. I tell you, I probably derive seven to 9% of my annual revenue from direct competitors. Because when you realize, right, that your way isn't the only way and, and certainly not the best way, people will start telling you stuff when, when they're not so defensive that you're trying to take their deal, take their client, take their employee. And you can just talk about best practices. And sometimes my, we don't fit from a vertical or maybe it's a cultural fit or maybe it's just a capacity fit. But having these relationships out in the street has really helped me learn stuff. So I looked, I always look at people who have things I want. You know, if you're really doing it, doing it in sales, I just, I will roll up on you, as they say, pull up on you and ask, how are you doing that? Can I, you know, can I buy you coffee? Can I get 15 minutes of, of you know, education on this? As I get older, what I find are people are a lot more apt to do it. I wish people would have done it younger. And it's part of my core value today that I want to make sure if you give me your ear, I will give you something good, you know? And so I, I currently think that's the way to do it. But I also think if you're not reading, if you're not actively reading a book at all times, you're doing yourself a disservice. 
these people that you mentioned that you were fortunate enough to have in your life and to help guide you or be a sounding board and those things, how did you go about meeting those people? Um, it was a force. Um, you know, there are lots of, you know, you can sit and dream about it and think about it and you'll certainly get close to it, but you won't get it unless you do the work. And one of the things I, I talk about a lot is the active word in networking. It's working, right? So what I did was I just forced myself into the froze of networking. I went to the Association for Corporate Growth or I joined Provisors, you know, way back in the day for me, it was BNI and Latip and Toastmasters. Um, I made it a, a personal mission to put myself in uncomfortable positions in places where I didn't know anybody. Um, example, I lived in Chula Vista for almost 30 years. My first Provisors group was in UTC. My reasoning was because I'd spent so much time in Chula Vista and coach football, I kind of knew everybody. So while I could get some business, I thought it would be a better opportunity and a stretch growth opportunity for me to go to a neighborhood I'm not from around people I don't necessarily know. And in doing so, I, I ended up uh, being fortunate enough to build a pretty, uh, pretty vast network. So I think it's really about long-winded answer, but I think it's about being comfortable, putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. You can rehearse your little elevator speech and pass out your business card and you can get by. But the more you do it, the more conversational things happen and I think that's been one of the keys to our success, mine personal and our, and our company as well. In all these lessons that you've learned, specifically in the, the sales aspect, and I, I think this is one of the things that's really important to touch on, where, where do you see the, the professional and the personal lining up or overlapping? Because one of the things that I will say that I've always enjoyed in our conversations and and uh, and all the times that, that we've spent together, you're, you're very authentic. Thank you. You're, you're very authentic. And, and the way you talk in business terms is in the personal. And you also you hear people say sometimes like, Oh, don't take it personal. It's business. But with you, it's they're, they're they almost are concentric circles, if you will. Thank and you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's I'm, by all yeah. means that that's a compliment in every way. And, and the way you carry yourself. And that's one of the, the reasons I, I, I'm so happy to have you on is because how, do, how did you develop that? Like, how did you find that comfort level? And just, if you could expand on that. Yeah. I mean, um, I, again, it's, uh, when I was a kid, there was a guy in Rhode Island, uh, named big Al and he was this jolly green giant. And he kind of, I don't know what he did for a living, but he was always walking around town, but he was just like the nicest guy. And, um, he, he, he was one of those guys like I have been as a football coach. If I'm driving down the street and I see one of my players walking, I'll pull over. Like, where are you going? You need a ride? Did you eat today? It was just so many people, I get emotional about it, but so many people in my life have shown me gen, just real concern and grace. Sometimes I feel like for no reason, um, you just people are just nice to me for no reason. And I just feel like I owe that back. And so for me, when I meet people, I really take to heart that, you know, you never know what's going on with people behind the scenes, but what you can do is you can impact, you know, that interaction with them today. And so I think I spend a lot of time trying to engage with the person because the business is the business. And especially in my business in accounting, you know, back office accounting, it's a commodity for so many people, just like banking. It's who's going to give me the best deal on my checking account. Who's going to give me the cheapest rate on my loan. I recognize that the difference is like, you know, who are you aligned with? And so I, I try where I can to align and demonstrate alignment. And in areas where I can't, because I've been in the market for so long, I have a Rolodex where I can find somebody who you're aligned with and I will gladly refer you. 
I think when you come from that position and you don't have conversations based on your comp plan, because so many of us do that, we speak from our comp plan. I, it sounds corny, but I, I like to speak more from a heart, more like I'm going to see you at the grocery store or your kid at the soccer game. So I want to do it right. I love that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, also San Diego is like the 10th largest economy in the world, but it does operate like a big ass town. And so you have to, you know, you have to operate effectively and appropriately in the town that you're in. I think it's um, some people think we're super fortunate here in San Diego because we're all so close and everybody's interconnected. Uh, but I think in any ecosystem anywhere in the country, uh, you find yourself, you, you can have what we have in San Diego. It's again, it's corny and cliche, but uh, if you work it, it works. You know, if you work at networking, networking works. Um, so really quickly, I'll tell you too, that my sales team uh, and I generally speaking um, are at, three to four events each per week, a couple during the day, a couple during the evening. And one, that gives us community and market awareness. Uh, but more importantly, it gives our sales team an opportunity to learn something. So I don't just send my sales team to networking. And this is definitely a technique or a tool. Don't send all your salespeople just to networking events because who goes to that? Three buyers and 40 vendors, right? That's not a good use of time. That's where everybody goes and lies about their sales and drinks free cocktails. You should just go home and be with your family. Instead, go to a learning event. Like I just went to something that uh, uh, Shepard Mullen put on around NIL deals. Um, I don't have an NIL deal. Now, maybe one of my college age kids is eligible for that. But I wanted to learn something so that I could have a conversation. I ended up sitting next to two people whose kids were in the space to have NILs who also happen to be CEOs of a company, one of which was looking for accounting services. So I learned something for myself that I could share with people. And then I met a prospect and there were no competitors in the room. So I, I encourage people uh, one way to get out there. If, if networking is scary for you because it is intense for a lot of people, go to a learning event. It's more controlled. There aren't going to be a bunch of sales sharks there. You're going to get a nugget of personal knowledge that you can share with somebody. That's always awesome. And you never know who you're sitting next to. So, I mean, again, I use a lot of simple stuff, but sometimes simple works. Most times simple is the, is, is the way. Yeah. When, yeah. You, when you're coaching football and, and working with youth, how do you – or are there things that – that you use from your day-to-day -day experience in your life that you communicate to them. And I know you just spoke very highly of a lot of the, the youth that are, that are in your, in your circle. How, how do they take the information? Do they ever, are they, are they open about asking for it? And what, what is that distribution like? Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you year one, uh, first year coaching in, in 20, in 2000, you know, it, it was different. Um, in, a, in, I don't know if it's good or a bad way, but, you know, kids back then were a little different. They had a little bit more deference in a good way, but also I think the deference to the old head coach, you don't want to question the coach. As um, kids got older and I, you know, got more into true high school varsity division one, you know, these kids had real questions. Um, and so I had to learn that they look to me to be the authority and you need to manage and, and handle yourself as such. Um, and one of the ways you do that is if you don't know the answer, say so, because I've learned with high school kids, they can sniff bullshit right away. And if a high school kid can best believe Mr. or Mrs. Smith across the desk from you in a sales transaction, they can smell it too. So I think that, you know, being authentic, dishing out the same number or a proportional number of attaboys to ass kicks, right? Gets you more aligned and people trust you because you're not just telling them what you, what they want to hear. It's the truth. And I think over a period of time with demonstrated behavior, people then say, okay, this, this guy, 
he really does have my back. He calls me when he doesn't want things. He, when he sees things in the market, he calls to check on me to see how, how that has affected me, my family, my business. It's the same thing I do when, you know, if there's a, 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 a house fire in Chula Vista, I'm on the phone calling my people in Chula Vista. Everybody all right? Those little simple things that we just do that I think we should do can garner just tremendous personal and business ROI. I wish I, I'm going to write a book one of these days called Corny Sales Tactics That Work because they, they just <laughs> do. They just do. Well, for for these, and it's funny that because you're authentic and these are just the way you operate anyway, and that's how you prefer to operate, it comes across as genuine because it is genuine and you do enjoy that connection. So it's really cool to see you have the success uh, that, that, you've, that you've had so far being that way. So you, beside from the Jolly Green Giant guy for, that you grew up with, were there any coaches or teachers that you had growing up that you either saw, yes, like I want to, I want to teach like that, I want to coach like that, or anything that you were like, oh, I don't, I don't want to carry myself like that. I'll tell you, there's a gang. I don't want to do it like that, people. Yeah. <laughs> there's a bunch of that, and whether you know, it's leading from ego, leading from you know, le- leading from guidelines versus real world business applications, you know, there's policy jockeys, you know, and then there's real world, you know, people who are just kind of working within the parameters of, of what the uh, market dictates. So there's been a lot of bad ones. I'll tell you a good one. Um, her name is Susan Mallory. She's in town today. Uh, she's with State Farm. Used to be with me back in the day at Wells Fargo and First Interstate. One of the things that she taught me that stuck with me is the face-to-face meaning, the value of face-to-face you know, we, especially post COVID and during COVID, everybody zoom, zoom, zoom. Before that though, this woman had this uncanny knack to walk in somebody's office and look behind your desk, you know, at the accoutrement and the baseball picture and the autographed football. And she immediately knew somebody. She knew the guy who threw the football. She knew the manufacturer of the baseball. She, she spent so much time talking about the person before the business. And her job was to get loans out the door, right? We had 100 million bucks. We had to get that out in the first two quarters or else. And so she had a very high pressure job. I, for the first couple of years of working with her, I didn't know how she made gold because I never saw her talk about EBITDA and conversion rates and projections. She got to know her clients in a way that when the when stuff hit the fan, when stuff was hard, they called her. When stuff was good, they called her. Um, and so I always like to position myself that no matter what it is, good news or bad news, you'll call me. And equally important is that I want to demonstrate because of the things I've learned about care and concern that when my phone number, which you do very well, thank you. When my phone number shows up on the caller ID, you pick up the phone. Um, and I think that's something that you have to earn. And the way you earn that is by consistency in your delivery. And I learned that from Susan Mallory and a couple other people here in town. Dan Yates, oddly a bunch of bankers, but um, these are people who spent time with me that, that, in my opinion, didn't have to and did. That that sentiment of uh, of building that rapport, and even if it's not a you know a technique, but it's important and it's, it's huge. And one of the things that, that I was really proud of, and when I was doing the the hands on property management, I remember some of my tenants uh one of the some of the properties that i managed they used to tell me about the movie they saw or the, the yoga studio that they joined and those things and when you're especially as a property manager at that time most times people are complaining about something or you know there's a roof leak or this and that but when your inbox is 
you know, filling up with people talking about good stuff or, Hey, I saw the, the Eagles one or whatever those things are. It's like, okay, you're, you're doing something right. You're doing yeah. something really right. And I'll tell you, I mean, we're fortunate. I mean, we're in a, in a much better time than, you know, our parents certainly were and our grandparents uh, certainly were. And we also have the benefit of being here in Southern California, which is a very diverse, you know, liberal kind of environment. But I also understand, you know, that as a black American in the streets, there are sometimes some some perceptions, some preconceived notions incorrect about, you know, how folks that look like me, like you operate. And so for a long time, I spent my you know first few minutes of every conversation, every interaction, trying to prove to everybody in the room that I wasn't what they thought I was or wasn't, you know, what they saw on TV. It wasn't, you know, a thug or an affirmative action candidate or a set aside. Like I'm here because I'm actually him. Um, and it mm. took me until just a couple, literally a couple years ago and running into a, a really great woman life partner who reminded me of that. And so I tell people, especially young people, when you're job interviewing, as an example, so many times we spend so much time in our interviews, like trying to impress the interviewer um, about who we are. But you realize that you're in a job interview because somebody put up a posting for the job, which means they're looking, they're seeking you. So when you're on the other side of the interview desk, while you need to show respect and you're trying to get the job to get the money, get the opportunity, remember they want you too. So you got to ask them questions. You got to make sure they show value. And I think for so many of us in sales, irrespective of race or gender, we have to remember that when we walk in the room, we're the expert in our particular craft, more so than the person across the table. They're an expert in their craft. I'm an expert in my craft. Doesn't mean be cocky or arrogant, but it means go with confidence. You know, I say chin up, chest out. Um, people respect that. And they also respect when you say, hey, that's a great question. I don't know the answer. You know, give me give me an hour and I'll get back to you. So I think, you know, having those type of coaching, uh, getting that type of coaching along the way for me enables me today to kind of walk into rooms fearless. Um, and I wish that for everybody as soon as possible, because at the end of the day, when you get in the room, Nobody has your business card but you. So you're in charge. You're him or her in your space. And you need to act as such. And again, it's not a cocky, arrogant thing. It's just you're awesome. So be whatever your awesome is. And I've recently gotten comfortable with my little bit of awesome. Well, that comes with time, though, too. That comes with experience. Because, yeah, if you walk in the room, like, I'm awesome. But I, there's a balance there, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a balance it's of the confidence and humility. And that's yeah. one of the things that... You know, you're not better than anyone, but nobody's better than you either. I mean, maybe that's somebody right. has more experience. And so having that, but you need to to, to learn that. And I, I think that's that's an accurate statement of, of how I how I've kind of looked at things. And, you know, there's times in life where you get humbled. <laughs> like it just happens. Like you don't know. But like, please. Yeah. Please teach me some stuff because I got a big ass head and I'm trying to fill it with as much knowledge as I can. <laughs> you know, but having said that, I want to, you know, i you called me to discuss in this, you know, in this instance, today's instances, accounting and mergers and acquisition. I really know that. And I have a lot of experience. So let me share what I know. You take the nuggets that you like, throw away the rest, and we'll have my dealings today are almost 100% conversations versus sales. Mm. And the sooner that salespeople can get out of their comp plan with their mouth and have more just human conversations first, the money comes. And I know now as an older person who's, you know, senior in my firm, it's easy to say when you're old and you got a little bit of money, but I wish I'd have known this 20 years ago because I would still be as old, but I'd have a lot more money. And I think I would have had many more 
even stronger relationships. So I say jump on it now. Jump on it now. So thank thank you for providing that context. I, I want to make sure that we we start to cover your day-to-day business and what you're doing. Um, and we can we can weave in and out like all these other lessons because I think this is great context for how you do your business. Sure. Let's talk more about CFO Hub and your growth. You mentioned the hockey stick growth and and what you're doing now. Can you talk a little bit about what CFO Hub more is in more depth, and then also what sets you guys apart? Sure, I'll tell you that uh, we're we're six years old. We're based here in San Diego. Um, we're about 60 uh, W-2 employees, again, nationwide, and a handful in uh, London, which I love to visit. I can't, every time, I'm like, I'll go, I'll go to the office. Um, and then we have a very small office we just opened in the Philippines. We have actually physical offices here, Orange County, LA, the Bay, Austin, Texas, Raleigh, North Carolina, and then in London, and I'll open up a few more. Our company, and it's really everybody else but me, um, are a bunch of accounting geniuses, I affectionately call them uh, accounting nerds, CPAs from bookkeeper to, C- to strategic CFO. People call us when somebody from their firm in accounting leaves and they say, you know, hey, my controller just left. She got a great opportunity at another company and it's going to take me forever to find another controller. Can you guys just plug in until we figure it out? And so we started just doing that. Along the way, we realized who better than us who's already sitting in the chair or knows where the water cooler is to find them a permanent placement opportunity. So we still do our interim, which is kind of how we keep the lights on here. We also now do permanent placement in only accounting. Uh, If you need a CTO or a CIO or COO, I can refer you, but it's not really our bag. And then we solve for the M&A space, which two years ago was super hot. Now it's just warm, warm. But those are things like Clients are getting a bunch of unsolicited LOIs. Hey, we're going to give you 3 million bucks and we want 20% of your company. And people are excited. That's a lot of money. And they sign the letter and then they get the money. Or they sign the letter and then the the PE firm, VC firm, investor comes in to do their due diligence. And they realize that you don't have accurate, consistent accounting. You may not have policies and procedures on how you do your month-end close. You may not have a data room to store your pertinent documents. You may be on a cash basis instead of an accrual basis. And in banking and finance, if you're on a cash basis for accounting, banks won't lend you money. You have to be on accrual. So we come into these firms and solve for that because what we were seeing was, I'll give you $3 million, I want 20%. They come in and do the diligence. Now they're like, I'll give you $1 million and I want 50%. If they'd have just used us or any other service like us, and I will tell you honestly, I wish our competitors sucked. It would make my life so much better, but they're all good. Like all of them are good. I talk to all of them in town. I know all the salespeople and all the CEOs and we work well together constantly. But if you don't have your financial infrastructure in order, you're going to get diluted. You're going to have this great family business or individual business that now some board member who doesn't know you, doesn't care about you is going to start telling you what to do. Our experience has shown that's what happened. We come in and solve for that. Finally, we do all of those things that I told you, solve for turnover, help with M&A, but we do that not only for the commercial space like all of our competitors do, but what none of our competitors do is those same services for government contractors, primes and subs, and GSAs. Accounting is accounting, generally speaking, but there are some very specific nuances in the government space like incurred cost and um, DCAA audits and things that if the clients don't get it right The first time, they may be precluded from future bids. 
And for so many companies, they're getting, you know, three-year, $50 million bid opportunities when their whole company was just $12 million in revenue. So they hmm. can't afford to mess that up. We never want to pitch fear like, oh, if you don't use us, you're going to die because that's not the case. But if you're in the government contracting space and you want to make sure your accounting infrastructure is right and you have a much higher chance of winning, completing and getting more bids, you should absolutely talk to us. That that um, division of our company is called GovCFO. You can find us at GovCFO.com um, or anywhere you can find me, you can find GovCFO. So where, when in the process would somebody contact you somebody with a small business or they're they're thinking of starting a small business like what what's the best time frame for somebody to to contact you yeah i would i would tell people you call me because i just like to talk and i love to share so i'll tell you what i know but i'll also you know respectfully tell people you can't come to me with a nike shoebox full of receipts i'm not your guy i can direct you to firms like that but I will tell you, you should be you should be talking to somebody. You should be speaking with somebody, whether it's your Uncle Murray, who's a retired CPA, or even your small business banker or your you know SBDCs about making sure your books and records are set up. It could be as easy as you know Google Sheets. I personally recommend QuickBooks. QuickBooks Online specifically, it's easy, it's cheap, and it can scale you to about a hundred million in revenue. Um, but I first tell people if you are a well-funded startup, a few million bucks in Series A. Um, if you are an ongoing concern company and you have, you know, our average monthly ticket for our back office accounting services, you know, it's just under five grand. It really makes sense for us. We're a great fit. We can basically, for that amount of money per month, we can replace your entire accounting department with no HR load. But if you're truly a small mom and pop startup, there are a handful of really good bookkeepers in town and I can gladly refer people to them. I always like no. to screen things first because you never know. There's always a diamond in the rough. And I just love hearing the stories and it just takes 20 minutes of my time. So I, I would gladly take those calls. Yeah. And one, one of the things, because our listeners are, are national and, and so I think these things jive not just for San Diego, but for, for any market. That's just Absolutely. that just that makes sense on a lot of different levels. Yeah. And you want to do it early. The one thing is um, that people get worried about. And I have to fight this one every day is, hey, you're going to look at my books and they're ugly. It, that's not how we look at things. You know, you, you're an entrepreneur. You're in commercial real estate. That doesn't mean you can do, you know, chart of accounts and, and reconcile a P&L. That's what we do. I can't do what you do. So eliminate the fear of, of that. We're just here to look at the numbers, get them right for you so you can win. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So these next steps for you and opening up the the offices in in other markets, as far as your, the business strategy, which which markets are are you focused on? Like, why do you target them? Does it does it track with just you know other just general business? Like, how, how do you guys look at that at your expansion? There's a couple ways we look at. It. I mean, we we look at. Um... We play, although we're industry agnostic, we really play heavy in the SaaS, fintech, you know, bio and professional services. And that's because there's so much of it here in, in Southern California and San Diego specifically. So we look for markets that have that overlay. We also look at markets that have already um, expressed uh, desire and adoption of the remote model, specifically from the financial services perspective. So an example, like I would love to be in New York, but... <laughs> Every on every street corner in New York is a fractional CFO. Like they're mm. everywhere. And while I still think that's proof of content, uh, concept because we never have competed locally with anybody, there's so much business out there. That market is ridiculously resistant. 
flip side, Boston, MIT land, Harvard, Cambridge, they love remote. They love it. And so I think Boston for us next one, because they're, they're this heavy SaaS, heavy tech. They're into our model. And I've got a bunch of family there, so I can get some family visits. Um, <laughs> so that's one way. What I also do, though, is when I look at a market, I don't look for the competitors. I'm not really worried. I look at provisors. I look to see who's on the ground, boots on the ground. And then I get on the phone and I start calling people and I ask, like, what's the market temperature out there? You know, what kind of businesses are moving? What are you seeing? Um, By the way, do you know anybody who's looking for a job? And then we end up hiring a managing director and a biz dev person. And then we just build around them. Wow. And so that's your, that's your, so you, you find that place, you fire, you fire, you hire those two people and then you do it. Wow. I literally, like I was in San Francisco last week, I parachuted into the market. Uh, You know, I went to a provisors meeting every day, different networking meetings every single day, got a feel for who the players are, who's actually doing deals, who might be available um, for either fractional accounting work and or biz dev, Um, you know, tell them our story, hope they like it enough. And then I make some offers and then we go and knock on wood. Um, We've struggled a little bit in LA, quite honestly. And I've spoken with my direct competitors and everyone kind of struggles there because the geography is interesting. And like New York, everybody has an Uncle Murray who can do your accounting and taxes. Um, So it's a market that I was there yesterday. It's a a market I have to spend time to learn more about. Um, But everywhere else, the the model works. And there's just so much work out there. We just never, we don't do, we don't run into RFPs. We just never run into a competitive situation. It's, um, it's, it's interesting and we're lucky. One of the things that you mentioned before is the, the gentleman who founded your, your company and, and how, how genuine they are and what they did. Can you, when they started the company, do you have any insight on, on their history and how they came into this and, and why they, why they yeah. did it the way they did? Yeah, I can tell you the origin story. It was uh, Jack Perkins. And I love that man. Um, he, it was Jay Perkins. I have his business card somewhere on my desk. It was Jay Perkins and Associates, but it was only one dude. It was Jack and Mark, right? So Mark was the associates and they were doing taxes, just straight tax work, um, assistations, like, you know, reviews, compilations um, for financial statements. But they were doing that tax work for a couple of principals at a locally based um, PE firm who, uh, when I'm in the office, I actually office with them now. And uh, the principal of the company came in and said, hey, Jack, yo, man, like, I really love the work you're doing for me. I just bought eight companies, essentially. Can you run the accounting across the portfolio so I have accuracy and consistency across the port codes and, you know, I can manage better? And, you know, Jack immediately pivoted. So we got out of the tax business. We have great tax partners that we refer to, but we don't do tax. And we went straight into the consulting field. He and Mark uh, and I all went to San Diego State. Um, I'm one of the oldest people in the company, so they graduated 15 years after I did. Um, but they levered their, you know, PwC, where they came from, from a, an accounting practice perspective, they levered some of their clients and friends to generate a few more clients. And then at some point, Jack realized that biz dev might make sense. And we found each other and, you know, we refer to each other as, uh, as three brothers. We, I say we're like three 16 year old girls, man. We have to, we talk every single day, Monday through Sunday. Um, and sometimes it's just like, what's up? How you doing? I miss you. You know, like, I just saw you yesterday. Um, so I've been really fortunate to have good partners like them. That's, that's fantastic. And that, and that, again, that tracks with, uh, with everything that you've spoken about the, about the company. I always jokingly say though, somebody scratches me a big ass check. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) I got to keep my boys on their toes. So, 
before before we take off, I, I wanted to ask you if there's if there's any looking back, and we we still have a few minutes here to to go through this, but is there anything that you could think of going back in your career, or even even before even pre career, where you zigged where you think you should have zagged, and not necessarily in regret zone, but you're like you know what. And you mentioned knowing what you what you know now before, but was there anything that you were like, you know what, I missed this opportunity, or man, I wish I would have done this. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell you. Um, I, it always, it always for me anyway, um, as you've come to know over over a little bit of time. Um, I wish I tr- like I always I tell people this all the time. Everything that your your parents and your grandparents told you, except for don't eat and go swimming because you're gonna go get you're gonna get cramp. Everything but that is true. So for me, the zigzag was if I could have used my mouth and my ears proportionally as a younger person, meaning shut up and listen when older folks, more experienced folks were trying to put me up on game and take that knowledge in, write notes, take it down um, and then and then try to apply them until they didn't work. Instead of what I did as a young buck thinking I know everything and even an old buck a year ago thinking I know everything like, oh, I'm going to just do it my way. Um, I'm not going to follow your training manual because I know what I'm doing. I think the sooner that we as salespeople and humans in any capacity can become coachable. Tom Brady, right? I'm a Patriots fan. Tom Brady is not my favorite quarterback, um, but Tom Brady for many, many years is the greatest quarterback of all time, right? greatest quarterback in the game. What does he have? He has a coach. So as great as you are, as cool as you think you are, as slick as you think you can talk, as much sales as, as you think you can garner, there's always somebody out there who can whisper something in your ear that can make a difference in your sales and in your life. And to the extent that you can listen, your money's going to go up. Your knowledge is going to go up. Your confidence is going to go up. Your ability to share is going to go up. Like there's no negative. So uh, the main piece of advice is listen, 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 and then ask questions. When people put you up on free game, they don't just want to vomit their stuff to you and then have you walk away. They want to interact. They want to hear back from you. So have conversations with people who who have what you want, because most of us, them, and now me too, will tell you, because I want you to get here too. I say to my clients and friends every day, I don't care which one of us gets a million dollars first. I'm for sure going to get mine. So whatever I can do to help you get yours, let's go. That attitude for me has moved me from a go-getter, a, a, a pursuer, to an attractor. And it was something that uh, uh, my fiance actually taught me. And I didn't believe her because I thought she was just, you know, crystal fairy and manifest. It, the shit works. Like, if you give, you get. Give to get. If, it just works, works, works. Keep doing that. Thank you so much, Brandon, for your for your time. For sharing that, that I I appreciate you so much and and everything Mm -hmm. you said. Um, Is there, I'll include your information, your contact information, your company information on the show notes, but is there anything that you want to, I mean, you just basically dropped the mic with that last one, but is there, is there anywhere that people can, can reach you that, that, or something that you want to let them know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, like we talked about earlier, even if you do have a shoebox full of receipts, um, give me a call. Um, It's Brandon Hawkins. I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. In fact, if you go to LinkedIn in the search and just type, I get things done, uh, my my uh, bio will come up. Call us, call me directly, call my firm, tell them I sent you. We will give everybody who's listening to your show what we call a gap analysis, meaning 
We'll get you on the phone. You can you can tell us what you're doing and tell us what your dreams are as it relates to your exit. And we will help look at what you're doing and help you create a roadmap to get there free of charge, no salespersonship. Um, you can take that roadmap and run with it. You can take it and have us help you implement it, or you can take it across the street. Um, but pre, please take advantage of an opportunity to listen to people other than me who are financial experts who have taken people from a shoebox to exit. Um, we would be more than happy to have you know, a 25, 30 minute discussion and get you on the right path. Brandon, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. We got to, we got to spend more time together and I'm super proud of what you're doing, man. I don't know if everybody else knows that, you know, just like our firm, you started with like just you and next thing you know, there's a bunch of you. And just like some of the other things you you started, it's just been really interesting. My brother and I was speaking highly of you last night about the things that you're doing in the real estate space, man. It's just, uh, it's, it's awesome to see. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I, and I think this dovetails well with what you're just saying about, you know, when I started to hit the gas and, and it started to really build, but it's been out of a place of, of giving of how can I provide, how can I add value? How can I provide resources to people to help them get to where they want to go? Because as soon as you do that, you know, you, you be, you become, an attractor, like, like you said, and I'm, I'm very, very thankful for all the people that have supported me and and what I'm doing and and how I'm doing it. Um, not just professionally, but personally. And I think we're, I think I'm optimistic, just like you mentioned about some of the, the, the youth that you coach and that you work with. Uh, I also work with, with youth. I work in the, in the community and, I see people in my neck of the woods and, you know, my family and just every, I'm very optimistic and it's not always easy, but having people in my life such as yourself, it's, it's always, it's always beneficial. Well, if we can just convert you from to no longer being a Philly fan, then you'd be all right with me. I'm sorry. You're uh, you're breaking up. Your signal's breaking up. (laughs) You must do a a snowball at Santa Claus, man. I don't know about that. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Rumors, rumors. It's crazy, but yeah, no, I, I just thank you for, you know, for having me. I, I just love and appreciate what you're doing. You're doing it really well. We got to do more stuff together. And uh, to the extent that not only for your listeners and constituents, if we could, you know, be of any service anyway, you know, reach out, uh, you know, my connections are yours and, and as well as your constituents, man, let's, uh, let's connect everybody we can. Sounds good. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Tools, Talents, and Techniques podcast. We hope you found the conversation insightful and engaging. And if you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your network. By subscribing, you'll never miss an episode as we continue to bring you inspiring discussions with industry leaders and pioneers. Stay connected to the latest insights, trends, and strategies across various fields from business and entrepreneurship to technology and innovation. Your support is vital in helping us reach more listeners and expand our community. So don't forget to leave a review and share your feedback. We appreciate your input and are committed to delivering valuable content that empowers and inspires. To stay updated on future episodes, be sure to follow us on either LinkedIn or our website, suttonrea.com. You can also find us on most podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Thank you for being part of the Tools, Talents, and Techniques community. We look forward to bringing you more engaging conversations and valuable insights in the future. Until then, 
keep exploring, learning, and applying these tools, talents, and techniques to achieve your own success.